Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Robbie Robertson leaves an impressive collection of music from the past half century. The Cayuga and Mohawk musician was notably a founding member and driving force in the band, with iconic songs like The Weight and Acadian Driftwood. He went on to collaborate on several film scores and solo compositions. He also had an impact on many fellow Native musicians. We'll remember Robbie Robertson's life and work coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. There's a new marker along Anchorage's coastal trail. It says Nush Ish Tund, which means the place protected from the wind in Denina Athabaskan. The sign's part of the Indigenous Place Names Project and is a reminder that Denina people were and continue to be part of Anchorage. Jeremy Shea reports from Alaska Public Media. At a ceremony celebrating the new signpost, Aaron Leggett shares an anecdote about meeting other young Alaska Natives when he was 19, working at the Alaska Native Heritage Center. And I told them that I was Denina, and they said, well, what's that? And then they said, well, where's your village? I said, we're from here. They said, no, where's your native village? I said, we're from here. What do you mean? I said, well, Aklutna is 26 miles from uh, downtown Anchorage. And some of them who had grown up in Anchorage said, Well, I didn't know Native people lived here. He says he realized Denina were largely invisible, and he wanted to work on reclaiming who Denina are as a people. That was more than 20 years ago. Now, Leggett is the president of the Native village of Aklutna and a curator with the Anchorage Museum. He's been working on the Indigenous Place Names Project since its inception in 2018, the Nuch Ish sign, is the effort's fourth installment. The Nina people used to set up seasonal salmon fishing camps near this point, up until federal officials banned commercial fishing here in the 1950s. Indigenous placemaking deepens the connection we have to place. Beth Nordland is the executive director of the Anchorage Park Foundation, another organization working on the project. This is bigger than signs. It's a movement. Project supporters eventually want to put up 32 of these sculpture signs in high-visibility areas around Anchorage and Aklutna, They each feature iron artwork representing a fire bag, which is a pouch used to carry materials for starting a fire. It's also a symbol of living outdoors and sharing. In Anchorage, I'm Jeremy Shea. A new report shows forests managed by tribal communities are extremely underfunded, and that's affecting lands they rely on for economic, social, and cultural resources. The Mountain West News Bureau's Caleb Bradle has more. The report was done by the Indian Forest Management Assessment Team. It calls on the federal government to increase funding to tribes by nearly $100 million each year. That would match the per-acre funds that agencies like the U.S. Forest Service receive to manage forests. Cody Dizitel is president of the Intertribal Timber Council and member of the Confederated Tribes of the Colville Reservation in Washington State. He says wildfires have burned almost 700,000 acres of their forest lands since 2015. And in places that we likely would have had treated ahead of time to reduce that post-fire severity if we had more funding and staffing. He says tribes need those now, as climate change fuels more frequent and severe wildfires. We'd like to do considerably more prescribed fire to combat some of the post-fire impacts we've seen and protect our communities. 
In 2019, tribal forests covered more than 19 million acres in the U.S. For National Native News, I'm Caleb Radel. Tribal leaders and state lawmakers in California are pressing California State University officials to return Native American human remains and artifacts to tribes. Leaders and lawmakers plan to gather at the state capitol next week to discuss an auditor's report released this summer with CSU representatives. Tribal leaders and lawmakers citing the report say CSU is failing to return the remains and cultural items, which is failing to comply with federal and state laws. According to the audit, only around 6% of CSU's nearly 700,000 remains and items have been repatriated. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Is your tank empty? There's another gas you should be worried about. Carbon monoxide can kill in minutes, but you can stay safe by placing CO alarms in your home. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. Cayuga and Mohawk musician Robbie Robertson penned several notable songs as a founding member of the band. The group ascended to fame as Bob Dylan's backing group in the mid-1960s. The band broke up in the mid-70s, and Robertson went on to a solo career writing songs and working on soundtracks for films, including several by Martin Scorsese. Before he died earlier this month at the age of 80, he completed work on the soundtrack for Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, scheduled for release in October. Robertson's work spanned genres from rock to Americana to electronica. He would also incorporate native themes and traditional musical elements into some of his solo work. Today, we'll explore his musical legacy with associates and native musicians, but we also want to hear from you. Join the conversation with your comments or questions about Robbie Robertson by calling 1-800-996-2848. We've got our phone lines open right now. Let's hear a clip from an interview Robbie Robertson did with the Aboriginal People's Television Network, APTN, in 2011 about how he got interested in music. I was born in Toronto, but my mother was born and raised in Six Nations, so we went back and forth to see the relatives all the time. And every time we went back, everybody in the family, it seemed to me, played an instrument. Everybody played an instrument or sang or danced because there wasn't like a lot of entertainment coming through town back then. We had to provide our own entertainment. And so that's what made me say, I want to be in this club. I want to play music too. That's where it all started for me. And so my cousins and uncles and aunts and everybody started showing me some little musical things and they really kind of tutored me into finding out whether I had any, you know, 
talent for, for this whatsoever. There was that, and then the other side of it was the storytellers. That was another thing that really pushed a button for me, that when the elders would speak, it just gave me chills. I thought, I want to be able to tell stories like that. I want to just, I want to be part of this thing. Let's get the conversation started now. Speaking with us first from Toronto in Ontario, Canada, is Brian Wright McLeod. He's the author of the Encyclopedia of Native Music, and he is Dakota and Anishinaabe. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining us. I mean, how are you? I'm doing great, and I uh, just can't wait to learn more about Robbie Robertson. And, and tell us first, Brian, how much influence did Robbie Robertson have on contemporary Native music? I think it's incalculable. Um, I think to begin with, when he was playing with uh, Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks here in Toronto back in the 1960s, uh, you'd have people like Jesse Ed Davis, the great Kiowa Comanche guitarist, would make the road trip all the way up to Toronto just to see Robbie play because his uh, his playing style was very unique. Uh, it was very exact. It was precise. And being a 16-year-old kid, he was like... Uh, at the top of his game, even then. Um, beyond that, um, we had um, the watershed moment of a film called Powell Highway, released in 1988 by Jonathan Wax, who's the director. Um, that was a seminal watershed moment for a lot of Native um, artists. Um, on the soundtrack itself, there was Jesse Ed Davis doing some guitar work. There was a, a Cayuga flute player by the name of Dan Cecil Hill who did some flute music. Uh, John Trudell got his acting uh, career started at that time. Um, there was uh, Wes Studi, who plays bass. Firecat of Discord was his group. Um, there were so many people. Uh, Janelle Romero, whose brother Robbie plays music, she was uh, one of the lead actresses in that in that film. So he did the production work along with George Harrison for that soundtrack, and it was uh, phenomenal the work that he has uh, created. I mean, The Last Waltz, um, an awesome um, uh, concert film. Uh, the last. One of the last books that he uh, created was Hiawatha and the Peacemaker, talking about Deguanita and the White Roots of Peace, along with an illustrator by the name of David Shannon. But in the author's note at the back of that book, he talks about being nine years old and going out to Six Nations Reserve and doing basically what he described in that interview, listening to the elders and hearing these stories. And as well with the uh, soundtrack of a people, the companion CD to the Encyclopedia of Native Music through EMI Music Canada, I managed to uh, get his uh, track called Unbound from the underworld of Red Boy on that, on that collection because uh, his, uh, his experiences and his interpretation of traditional indigenous values is expressed in that song in no other way that uh, can be described. I mean, you just have to go through his discography and see over the past 65 years what he's done and how that's influenced players like Derek Miller, the great blues guitarist. I mean, it's just uh, incalculable what he, uh, the legacy that he's left and the influence that he made. 
Well, he certainly has a prolific body of work and uh, just stretched across so many genres, like we mentioned in the introduction. And uh, Brian, do you think it's common knowledge that that Robbie Robertson was a native person? Because that's something you don't always hear about when, when he's mentioned. He's not usually referred to as a native musician, such as like you mentioned, Jesse Davis and, and John Trudell. I mean, it was just it was always so widely known that those those players were, were, were native as well. Well, he was a musician first. He loved the art. And it wasn't about identity politics. It wasn't about, you know, reclaiming anything. It was about um, standing in a place and creating the wonderful music that he did. It was exact. It was precise. Um, he didn't need to. He wasn't an activist. He wasn't an activist politically like, let's say, Buffy St. Marie or Jesse Ed Davis. There was no question that these people were native. But with Robbie, it was just... He was laid back. He was part of the band, right? and that's how they became known. He was a, an artist first, an artist and a human first, and then the rest of it came later in life when he felt that he was in a position to pronounce and portray his indigeneity, which uh, I think took a lot of people by surprise because he wasn't out there with long hair and leathers and feathers, but because that would detract from the work that the band was putting together. And he was pretty much the primary force behind that creativity. And there's no doubt that he wrote all of those songs. And I would recommend all your listeners to read the book Testimony by Robbie Robertson, along with his uh, biographer, Rob Bowman, who I work with at CKLM, a campus community radio station here in Toronto, about... Um, uh, all of that music. He was his biographer, and they were putting together the the manuscript for testimony. And Rob was telling me that they came up with at least 800 pages, so it could have been like a two-volume set. But that's up to <laughs> uh, the estate of Robbie Robertson to pursue that further. But yeah, um, there's a, a lot of work that he covered and a lot of influence that he had, not just on the Native community, but the music scene as a whole. I mean, he basically defined uh, crossover genres, such as uh, the 12-inch dance single from music from the Native Americans with uh, Ulali's Mac G. It was a 12-inch dance single. And from the Underworld of Red Boy, released 10 years later, he worked with a DJ called Howie B. And he was there was just no limit to the extent of his creativity and his vision in terms of music, which I think was most important to him in terms of expressing himself as a human being. Well, let's take a listen to a song by the band off their 1975 album, Northern Lights, Southern Cross. This is called Acadian Driftwood. Brian, please introduce this song and tell us what you like about it. Um, he was an historian. He always was. I mean, when I was a kid, listening to the radio, I heard uh, the night they drove old Dixie down and being a history buff, I thought it was awesome. This is awesome. It's a sympathetic song to the South, <laughs> the Confederacy. I mean, are you kidding me? But you got Choctaw, Chickasaw, Cherokee people who were on the side of the South. Okay. So Brian, I'm sorry. Cool. We, we got to play the song because we're going to go to break. Okay. Let's go ahead and listen real quick. was broken 
stood on the cliff and watched the ships slowly sinking to their rendezvous. They signed a treaty and our homes were taken. Loved ones forsaken, they didn't give a damn. Try to raise a family, end up the enemy. What went down on the plains of Abraham? Acadian driftwood, gypsy tailwind. They call my home the land of snow. Canadian cold front, bowling in. What a That song, Acadian Driftwood by the Band, it's from 1975, and uh, we've got Brian Wright McLeod on the line. And Brian, I think you could talk about Robbie Robertson all day long, but we do have to take a short break, but we will be right back, folks, I promise. Give us a call, anyone with any questions or comments about Robbie Robertson and any of the songs or any of the music that he created. Our number, 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. A series of devastating fires, floods, and tornadoes are dealing a devastating blow to Native nations from Hawaii to northern Canada. The increasing severity and frequency of natural disasters have emergency management officials changing how they prepare. We'll get the new disaster assessment coming up on the next Native America Calling. Program support by the Colorado Plateau Foundation, a Native-led foundation supporting Native-led initiatives protecting the lands, waters, and cultures of the Plateau for generations to come. The Colorado Plateau Foundation helps to build networks, community, and organizational capacity. The Colorado Plateau Foundation is accepting grant proposals through September 2nd. Eligibility information is available at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're discussing the music of the late musician Robbie Robertson, who had roots with the Six Nations of the Grand River Reserve in Canada. Do you have a favorite Robbie Robertson song? Let us know by calling 1-800-996-2848. And our first guest, Brian Wright McLeod, who is the author of the Encyclopedia of Native Music. Brian, we're going to move on to, to our next guest. But before we do, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite Robbie Robertson song? Or are there just too many to 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 rank like that I'm, I'm curious yeah there's just too many i mean he, he was amazing um the reason i chose acadian driftwood reflects back to his humanity and his whole um historical reverence for people in general uh the acadians originally came from normandy and then they were relocated by the british to places like louisiana where you have the cajun people and that brings into discussion the whole thing about Mac Rebinac, Dr. John, and his whole Grigri thing, which is discussed extensively in his uh, biography testimony. So, yeah, there's, a, there's just a lot of historical connections that Robbie had made 
not only through his music, but in his life as well. Well, Brian, thank you again for joining us and kicking off our discussion today here on Native America Calling with regard to Robbie Robertson. And I want to bring in another voice to our conversation now. Chief Ava Hill is the former chief of Six Nations of the Grand River. And Chief Hill, hello. Welcome to the show. Appreciate you joining us. Shago, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, well, tell us, uh, tell our listeners, what do you want them to know and understand about Robbie Robertson? Well, I'd like them to know that he was a proud Haudenosaunee man from the bush. And, you know, when I was young, I also left the community and moved to, to Toronto, much like his mother did, I guess. And uh, whenever we came home on the weekends, I used to come home on the weekends as he, as his, him and his mom did. And we always said, and uh, there, there was a community of uh, Native people in Toronto, which we would always get together. And if we were coming back to the reserve for the weekend, we always said we were going back to the bush. Mm-hmm. And after I got to know Robbie, I, you know, he always referred to, to the community as the bush. And uh, so, and he was proud to be from here. And I, I, you know, just got to know him in the last few years. I, I think I first met him in uh, in 2017 when um, we worked with him and his family so that he could get his status, official status, government status, I guess, as a, as a, as a registered member of Six Nations. And he came down here in uh, October and... Um, uh, we got the card for him, and it, it was so it was so interesting. And then it was it was it, he was a proud day when he got that. And, uh, we had a homecoming ceremony for him. I was still the chief then, and, and uh, it was a wonderful day. And you could tell that he really enjoyed it. He came here with his with his manager Jared and his daughter Delphine and, and some of the people. And um, he also had a chance to visit his relatives, who some some of them who still live here in the community. So uh, people need to know that he was proud of being from the Six Nations. He was proud he was proud when he finally got his status card. And uh, I think it's, uh, it, you know, and he has been an inspiration and a, and a role model for all Indigenous and Native musicians, not only here in our community. I know that there the, the, the was mention earlier of Derek Miller, who... And when Robbie was here for the homecoming, you know, Derek sang, we had a number of Six Nations young musicians singing for him. And they were all singing his songs, and it was such. He was just so happy, and he gave them all a standing ovation. And I remember him calling uh-huh. Derry Miller, Derry Miller a crackerjack. <laughs> and uh, he he's inspired all of these young guys, eh? And to have him here in the community and to listen to them and and to to give them standing ovations really uplifted them. He's not only for our community, but he's an, he's been he was an inspiration and uh, and an ambassador for our indigenous people for all across the country. Uh, I know of a, a Haida, a Haida, I just tell this story, there's a Haida Nation, a good friend of mine, he used to be the president of the Haida Nation in British Columbia. His name was Miles Richardson, and um, he was being awarded the Order of Canada, and it was around the same time that Robbie received the Order of Canada. And uh, when Miles was, I was telling him, Miles was, or uh, Robbie was coming for the homecoming, he said, I told the story that Miles had told me was that when they asked him when what date he would like to get his Order of Canada, he said, I want to get it at the same time Robbie Robertson is done, gets his so I can meet him. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think that <laughs> happened, but, I, you know, it was fun. I had, I had to tell Robbie that story when he was here in, in back in 2017. So just to want people to know that he was a proud Indigenous man, Haudenosaunee, and uh, people really loved him and respected him, all Indigenous people, both here in, this, in, in the United States and, and Canada, and particularly in our own community.
Chief Hill, I want to thank you again for, for taking the time to join us and sharing those personal memories of, of Robbie Robertson and his connection there to the Six Nations of the Grand River community. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stories. Thank you again, Chief Hill. And let's go ahead and bring in another voice to this conversation. We have Elliot Landy. He is a photographer, a writer, a teacher, and a guide. And he was the official photographer for the 1969 Woodstock Festival and the photographer for the band in the 1960s and early 1970s. Hello, Elliot. It's good to have you on the show. Hi. I'm really pleased that you asked me to be on. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, Elliot, you were the official photographer of the band during their rise to fame. What are some of your most memorable moments with Robbie Robertson and the band? You know, rather than official, I'd like to say friendly photographer. Okay, um, friendly photographer. When, when um, um, I first met the band um, because they needed pictures from music from Big Pink, I won't go into that whole story, um, but... Uh, and I just, uh, I, I went up to, to Big Pink. I was living in New York City, and I drove up to, no, I took the bus up to Big Pink, and the guys met me. I forget who met me exactly, but the guys met me at um, at, at the bus station, and we just really got along. I felt I felt uh, like, I, I can't say one of them, but I felt t totally comfortable with them. I, I'm never really one with people I photograph because I don't want to interfere with what they do or what they are. So I, I, I stand purposely outside and don't try and get too involved and just like a fly on the wall, take pictures of what they were doing. And this perfectly matched their sensibilities. They didn't want to be, they, they were different than other people. Um, they, uh, Robbie, of course, um, and, and they saw the way, I, I think they were aware that the way they thought um, was, was um, apart from the way most people thought. So the fact that I didn't try and stick my brainwaves in the middle of who they were, or what they were doing, I think was appreciated. And w when when Robbie's uh, documentary debuted at the New York City Doc Festival, um, he wasn't aware that I was in the audience. And um, when someone told him I was, he said, oh, Elliot's here. He's our buddy. And, and we invited him in to photograph us uh, as the only the exclusive person who had access to us because we didn't want to be bothered with, I don't know if he used the word bothered, but he didn't want to, whatever, he didn't want to, have to deal with a lot of people taking pictures, a lot of different people that they didn't know. And they just felt like, he said, we just felt like he was one of us uh, during that period. And this was for the period of the first two albums, Music from Big Pink and the band album. Oh, geez, these are just <laughs> amazing stories we're hearing today on Native America Calling. And uh, the friendly photographer, that was your role. That's how it, and I mean, do you remember the very first time you met Robbie Robertson? And, and like, what was that like, Elliot? Just meeting him and just being there for that. What's been, it's just such a pivotal period in, in rock and roll history. You just can't understate it. I had, um, I had had um, some run-ins with Albert Grossman, a run-in with Albert Grossman, when he basically tossed me out of Carnegie Hall when I was taking pictures of Bob Dylan and the guys in the band into Woody Guthrie Memorial Concert. And I won't go into that, but I have a book called Woodstock Vision, if anyone's interested in, in, in reading about that. It's too long a story for what you're doing here. But um, 
um, Albert definitely had a negative vision of me, and, and um, somehow I got involved with Janis Joplin and Big Brother and the holding company who Albert was managing, and I had an assignment to go up and photograph them. Anyway, Albert saw what a, what a, I'll use the word good photographers, and I was, and uh, one evening uh, when when Big Brother was playing at a venue um, in New York City called Generation, Club Generation, which later became Jimi Hendrix Electric Ladyland. Al- Albert comes over. I- I'm in the back and can't hear anything in the room. It's this low-ceiling room. Um, and-, and he taps on my shoulder, and, and I- I- he-, he motions for me to come back with him. And I don't know if he's going to throw me out again or what's happening, but he takes me then into a very large utility closet where we could talk, <laughs> and he said to me, are you doing anything next weekend? Something like that, or, you know, next week. And I said, no, not, you know, no. I said, why? He said, well, we have this new band that we need photographs of. And I said, <laughs> what's their name? And he said, well, they don't have a name yet. Um, you know, we don't know. We're thinking the Crackers, that was one of an old name they were thinking about. Or we just really don't know. And maybe they won't even have a name uh, because they don't want to be pigeonholed into or cornered into playing the same kind of music. They want to be free to play different music whenever they want to. They don't want to be, um, you know, known as as cornered into Mm -hmm. being stuck with one genre of music. So maybe they won't even have a name, what he said. Anyway, he said, um, okay, so I said I was free and very glad to do it, and, and probably glad to do it. And he said, well, I want you to go up and meet them. So he sent me up to the recording studio in New York City that the band, I guess they were mixing. I don't think they were recording, but they were mixing music. And Robbie comes out into the uh, in, into the waiting room of, there was no one else there, you know, where the couches are and stuff like that. And that was the first time I met him. And I had brought along photographs I had taken in concert, um, mostly concert photographs, because until I photographed the band, I hadn't done any personal photographs of, of of musicians i hadn't done any album covers or anything any albums or anything like that but the photographs i did have were mostly um uh, performance pictures at least the ones i had printed so that's mostly what i showed him in some clippings and so on he says well this is not really what we need to see but i like your pictures something like that and he takes me into the mixing room and and i and i believe I believe I heard the introduction to Chess Fever as I walked in there. I knew, I remembered that whatever it was, I was completely blown away by it. I was like, <laughs> wow. Almost, I'm getting the image or the memory, the memory image of almost being unable to walk into the room because the sound was so powerful like that. Uh-huh. Um, and and, um, and we, it was just very casual. And I don't recall who else was there in terms of the members of the band or not. Um but uh, that was the first time I met Robbie, and we, we barely talked. And he said, okay, you know, I'm gonna, the office will tell you where to go. And uh, what it was is that they wanted, uh, um, a fo- they wanted a picture with their next of kin. They wanted to, all of them wanted to acknowledge okay. the importance of their families and, and bringing them to this point where they can have a record album released on a major record label. And in those years in the '60s, uh, which which I cherish and honor, uh, the, the 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 hippie generation, in order to change, in order to leave the old behind, 
and, and, and move into something new, had to reject their elders, had to reject their parents, because the parents of, of our parents was on that age level just didn't really know anything about what was wrong with the world. Today, it's all out there. You can find out anything you want. In okay. those years, it was kind of hidden, and okay. they didn't realize what was, yes. All okay, right. So, so Elliot, this people, is... This is such a great conversation. I wish uh, <laughs> I wish I could just have you, uh, you and, and Brian and, and, and Chief Hill, all you folks could just, you could be single guests for a whole show, but we do have some other, uh, some other guests that we want to get to. We also want to hear some more Robbie Robertson music, but uh, friendly photographer, Elliot Landy of the band back in the, the 1960s and 1970s, another great guest here on Native America Calling. And let's move on now for another perspective and joining us from northern Saskatchewan is Puta Faye. She is a musician and founding member of the trio Ulali. She is Tuscarora and Taino. Hi, Puta. Welcome back to NAC. You've been on the show before. Yes. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great, and I'm excited to, to talk with you now. And I know you were involved with Robbie Robertson's music for the Native Americans album that came out in the 1990s. How did that collaboration come about? Um, Jesus, so long ago, um, and while I've been listening to everyone talk, I've been trying to figure, remember how it <laughs> happened, I guess, um, through the American Indian Community House, where we all, um, where I worked, and, um, it was a, my home community, and a, a lot of times, um, we would get calls in for commercials and different things like that. And different people would go out and do that. And so I guess the call from Robbie came in and that's how that happened. And eventually he came and we sat down with him and that was our first, that's how that happened. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. And uh, I know that there's a song mock Chi that was featured on the album and we're going to play that when we come back from break. We don't have quite enough time yet, but if you could, Puda, set us up for when we play that song and, and tell us a little bit more about it and, and how it came about. Um, okay, so um, there was some music that Sonny has, um, some tapes. I guess Robbie has given us some like tapes of different songs, and he was really into Inya. And that's how he kind of saw us. And um, but um, I had written a song uh, called Mak Chi, and um, the words are in the Tudor language. Came from a friend out of uh, North Carolina. He translated everything from Tudor. And um, so uh, we had. Um, he, when we finally sat with him in the studio in New York City, he brought with him a bunch of drum tracks, which had um, Benito Concha and Mazat from Red Thunder. And um, their tracks, they had tons of drum tracks, percussions. And so he had us listen. And I heard one and I said, that fits mock cheap like a glove. And, um, of course, Robbie goes, fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and he always said that. So um, he listened to it. I sang over it a little bit, and he goes, that's 
so they tweaked it here and there, and that was the beginning of the track. So, and then we recorded it. And All right. That's pretty much how I went. We're going to take uh, our, our second break here, but when we come back, we will listen to Makchi by Pudafe and Ulali, Ulali. And uh, we're going to go ahead and do that right in the other side of this break. But uh, phone lines are open. If anybody would like to call in with a comment or anything you'd like to share about the late Robbie Robertson, 1-800-996-2848. More music and more conversation on the other side. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. Whether it's financial help, education, or a certification, there are so many resources that any business can take advantage of. And none of them cost anything. Get help from the SBA. Do what I did and improve yourself and your business. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still time to participate in this conversation. 1-800-996-2848. And let's listen to some of Mokchi by Yulali that was featured on Robbie Robertson's 1994 album, Music for the Native Americans. Beautiful, beautiful song. Absolutely. Puda, thank you for joining us and sharing your memories and telling us about your collaboration with Robbie Robertson. Puda, anything else you'd like to share before we move on with the conversation? Well, sure. I mean, Jesus, we toured with him and we did so much with him. Um, I can tell you this that when you sit and work with Robbie in the studio, he'll sit for hours and listen to every single suggestion you have. And it was very cool working with him and going on the road. And uh, I mean, he brought, he brought a load of us on the road and um, overseas. 
And um, Makchi went platinum, actually, in Italy. And, um, yeah, he brought, there was Buffy, there was John Trudell, um, the American Indian Dance Theater, and, of course, there was Rita Coolidge and her sisters. At that time, they were just called Coolidge. <laughs> and so all of us, all of us were together on the road, and we went to Europe and uh, to England and through Italy and France, and it was a lot of fun. We had a good time. All yeah, right. we did. Well, Puda, thank you again. Uh, wonderful memories here that you're sharing about Robbie Robertson. Our, our next guest is uh, Elaine Bomberry. And she's a radio and television producer and artist manager. And she is Anishinaabe and Cayuga. And she is from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. Elaine, you've been here before. Welcome back to NEC. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, Elaine, you're featured in a documentary called Making a Noise. And it's during Robbie Robertson's homecoming to your Six Nations Reserve back in the 1990s. What was your experience with Robbie Robertson? Oh, my God. I actually got to um, program his whole homecoming um, in Six Nations. That was part of that uh, Making a Noise documentary. And I was, like, tickled pink, you know, like, to, to get the call from the man himself, right? And uh, But I was fortunate enough to have actually uh, relayed music back in the earlier 90s. Uh, for before making a noise and before uh, music for the Native Americans, because he wanted to know, well, through his record label, they got a hold of me and said, well, can you send some music? What's going on? And I, I sent a little box of cassette tapes back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. Super cool. Let's go ahead and take a caller now. We've got Ruby, who's listening on station KUNM in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hi, Ruby. Hi. Um, I don't have uh, personal experiences with Robbie. I just called in to say that my favorite song by him is Showdown at Big Sky. I grew up as a fan uh, because my dad listened to the band. And so when Robbie made Showdown, the video Showdown at Big Sky in New Mexico and Nevada, I, I it made it like personal for me. Um, but because I have family in Mescalero, and that truly is the type of setting where people will listen to or uh, sing songs around a campfire at night and under the open sky. So um, it just became such a great video and song for me personally. Wow, Ruby, another <laughs> really awesome story today. Thank you for calling in and sharing that. And Elaine, I want to ask you, you know, Robbie had this really, really significant period of his life, this homecoming back to the reserve. And, and, and what prompted that? I mean, Chief Hill talked about it a little bit, but, but what do you think prompted him to make that return to the reserve after having been away for so long, decades? Yeah, I think it was just the sense of longing and belonging. You know, that uh, he wanted to know exactly, you know, where he fit in. And so for him to do that was huge, right? <clears throat> we embraced him wholeheartedly, and it was just a wonderful time. And do you think his perspective changed at all with regard to his heritage after that homecoming? 
Absolutely, absolutely. But he was work. He was working on it before. He was exploring it. You know, kind of going. Um, it, it, actually, the one song he has, something I left behind, is the perfect uh, song to explain what he was going through. Something I nearly lost. You know, something I couldn't find, you know, and that's the lyrics of his song, something I left behind. And uh, that totally, to me, explains it. It's just, you know, you're getting older in life. <laughs> where where do I belong, right? People want to know that. Where's my home base, right? I right. think that's what that was about. Yeah. Mm. Super cool. More good information here on NEC. We've got another caller on the line, Michael, who's in Jemez Pueblo, New Mexico, listening on KUNM. Hi, Michael. Hey, how you doing? Uh, yeah, my uh, my uh, my experience is indirectly because uh, with the DJs of uh, the two uh, native programs here in and in, in Albuquerque, uh, native. Native music hours and also uh, singing wire. You know their DJs are, are, are uh, you know when they talk about Robert Robinson, they are so amorous that I, I'm sure that's that's how they get their their their, their way of thinking of how to play mu- what music to play, what genres because a lot of Robbie Robinson touched a lot of genres in his style and and a lot of them a lot of uh, the artists interpret that and then just rearranged it and you know uh, went to dip the dip and dive and all that and they came out with their own version and I think that's why the two radio stations two radio programs here in, in Albuquerque uh, have taken off and are staying up there and a lot of people around the world are listening to them online and uh, it, it's uh, it's incredible what the, what Robert Robertson has done for everyone I think you're right Michael and uh, thank you Michael calling in from Jemez Pueblo in New Mexico and we've got one more guest that that we want to introduce to to the audience now his name is Murray Porter and he is a Juno award-winning musician he is Mohawk from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory Murray welcome back to our show you've been here as well yeah thanks for having me again absolutely now this is interesting. Robbie Robertson once called you a master bluesman, which is quite a compliment coming from someone of his stature. How much does that mean to you for Robbie Robertson to call you a master bluesman? Well, um, he's been a hero of mine um, ever since the band days, you know, and for him to say that about me uh, uh, made my heart uh, swell up and my head swell up. At the same time, it was really something, and uh, I really appreciate him saying that, you know, because uh, I've been doing this a long time, too. Uh, I've been playing music for about 45 years now, and uh, so, yeah, it was great. That I, um, It really made me feel good to hear him say that. Now... You know, he's he just had so many talents, and he was a great guitarist. He's listed as one of the top 100 guitar players of all time in, in rock and roll history, and yet he also wrote some of these really iconic songs. And, Murray, if you had to choose, would you say Robbie was, was a better songwriter or a better guitar player, or, or can you make that distinction? Okay. Uh, he was good at everything. Um, he was a good singer. He was a good songwriter. He was a great uh, musician. Uh, I can't pick out of the three. Uh, he's he was just all around uh, uh, iconic talent. And was he 
it seems like a lot was was it natural? I mean, did he practice and rehearse a lot, or was he one of those people that just just had that gift to just make music? What, what I think it's a, a bit of both because uh, he spent hours and hours practicing. You know, even though he was already good at what he does, um, what he does, he he wanted to get better and better and better, and that's the, that's the kind of a guy he was. He wouldn't just sit still. He wanted to go forth, go forward, and and uh, make music and uh, make new sounds. And uh, you know, one of my favorite songs is uh, somewhere down the crazy river, and uh, the crazy Grand River, I should say. That's where we come from. <laughs> but yeah, he uh, he was uh, an icon to me, uh, uh, an idol, uh, somewhat of a mentor, even though uh, you know. We didn't actually. Uh, he came to my house once. We saw me play, and uh, he, he was a really, generally, a really nice fella. I mean, all around, a nice guy. He listened to you with open ears when you were talking. He didn't close himself off, and uh, that's why I reminded most about him. I think was his openness. And Maria, as a musician. What did you learn from him, and how did Robbie Robertson influence your music? Well, I learned from him to write songs about your own experience, uh, not something made up. And that taught me to write songs that um, of my experience, things that have happened to me uh, personally, and that helped me to write songs uh, about residential schools and and uh, things like that, because uh, I wanted to express myself uh, in the way he did, openly, and uh, without uh, hiding the truth. No bones about it, just straight up, tell the truth, and uh, that's what uh, influenced me a lot. And Murray, Robbie Robertson's legacy, a hundred years from now, are people still going to be listening to his music? What do you think? Hell yeah. <laughs> it's like the, well, like listen, look at the Beatles, right? Yeah, people are still love to listen to the Beatles songs. The Robbie's the same, in the same vein. His songs are uh, timeless, and I think a hundred years from now, yeah, we'll be listening to it. I'm sure of it. Do you have a favorite Robbie Robertson song? Yes, mine is somewhere down the crazy river. And what is it about that song it's that about, just well? Uh, it's just uh, because we, I grew up on the river, Grand River. That's where I, my, my home was. I was only a stone's throw away from the river. And so when uh, that came out, it reminded me of the Grand River, where, well, we both kind of grew up. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's why that's my favorite song, Somewhere Down the Crazy River. Murray, thank you for joining us as well. And I want to go back to Elaine now and... Elaine, anything else you'd like to share or add to to your experience uh, knowing Robbie and just being a fan of his music? And anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today about Robbie Robertson, your friend and uh, and your fellow Native yes. brother? Yeah, it was such a gentle soul, <clears throat> you know, uh, very humble. And like Murray said, he would keep he was present like when you spoke with him. He wanted to hear everything you had to say. 
right? Even though I only got to work with him just, you know, a little bit over a couple years and stuff. Um, he was just always an amazing man. And, like, it, it took me a little while to absorb, you know, that his homecoming and that that I got to be part of that, you know? It just, I was, it just blew me away. And then to see now that the documentary of Making a Noise uh, from PBS is, are, yeah, is now online. So... Yeah, it's there. Anyone can watch it. Anyone can see about his whole homecoming. So it's, uh, it was just uh, remarkable for me to even be considered to be part of that. And when he would call, um, at the time I had a talent agency, and my mother would always pick up the phone really quickly, going, "Oh, hi, Robbie." She loved hearing his voice on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a geez. great voice. <laughs> yeah. And uh and and Robert Robertson had a daughter. Do you know his daughter? Do you do you have a relationship with her as well? No, no, I never got to meet his children. I only got to meet his uh agent, Jared Labine. Yeah, I didn't get to meet any of the family. Ava uh Ava Hill actually got to meet all of them when he came home in twenty seventeen in Six Nations. Back in 2017. And real quick before we wrap up, what's your favorite song of Robbie Robertson's, Elaine? Mine is The Wait. Easily, by far none. <laughs> the Wait. From the band. From the band is The Wait. And then when he became solo, um, it, my favorite song is Making a Noise. Okay. That is a perfect, perfect segue into our... Our outro for today's show, the song, The Wait, uh, we have wrapped up, but I want to thank all of our guests today, Brian Wright McLeod, Elliot Landy, Huda Fay, Murray Porter, Chief Hill, Elaine Bomberry. We're going to close out today's show with Elaine's favorite song from the band. Uh, it's called The Wait. We'll play this out here. And uh, we start off next week with a look at some of the major natural disasters that are affecting Native nations. So we really encourage everybody to uh, listen to our show next week. And at this point, let's just go ahead and hear some music. And uh, I want to thank all of our crew and all of our staff here at Native America Calling for another wonderful week. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. The SBA was a true partner for us, and that's how I was able to grow the business. You can get free counseling. You can get help with finance, understanding your books, marketing, and strategies. And there's lots of mentors that can help you reach the next level of your business. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, 
commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Quantic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.